And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay on, do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule with them a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, well, it is good to be with you all. Uh, it is a joy to, to gather with Shawnee brothers and sisters, and so uh, thanks for allowing me the, the chance to be here. Um, I want to pray just for a time before we jump into God's Word, so if you would join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to center our minds, our hearts, our affections, and our attention upon you. Lord, I pray for your spirit to awaken us to the truth that you are here with us, that you are the one who, who walks in and among the lampstands, among the church, among your people. And so, Lord, would you give us eyes to see what we do not naturally see? Lord, would you give us ears to hear what we do not naturally hear and give us hands to receive what we tend to reject? And Lord Jesus, may you be seen for who you are and may we live in light of your truth and presence. Lord, may this time truly be honoring to you and edifying to us. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, well, again, it is um, it's a joy to be here. This is actually my third time being present with the Shawnee campus uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, and as you guessed it, all three times have been in a different location. And so, which I was asking somebody in first service, how many of you have driven to the wrong campus, like on the way, like on the way to the to the uh, conference center? Yeah, okay, we can admit that. It's okay. That's, that's a tough thing. You guys have been in different locations. I'm sure that can be challenging, but but it's been really a joy to be here. The the first time was actually at Trail Ridge. When we were uh, meeting at Trail Ridge, I came to help do setup. Uh, I wanted to, because I wasn't there on a Sunday morning sur- uh, for service. I just wanted to get a feel for what it was like, and it was, that, that's quite a workout. That was quite a workout. Uh, the second Sunday uh, was earlier this summer. My family were on vacation, and it was our last day of vacation. I got to gather with you all um, when we were at the theater, and then this morning now at the Lenexa Conference Center. And so uh, I do love this. It's a joy to hear stories of what God's doing in and through the Shawnee campus, but there's something about being present here uh, that I get to see it in the, in the flesh, and so it is a joy to celebrate with you. 
Um, there, there is kind of a unique connection I think I have to the Shawnee campus. Like, not only was Shawnee kind of birthed out of the Olathe campus, uh, but also you guys are the closest to us in proximity, and so we can kind of borrow sugar from each other. We're good neighbors. Uh, but also, the Spanbergs and the Capels were the only campus pastors who have four kids. Uh, we have a lot of kids. So I think I have a picture of my family up here. So that's us. Uh, it looks like I was just photoshopped into this beautiful family photo, but that is my family. Uh, my wife, Megan, and our four kiddos. And, um, and when, when, uh, actually, when Eden Spanberg was born, uh, I told Tam, I was like, you're just increasing the chances of a wedding between our families. We have three girls and a boy. They have three boys and a girl. I don't think Tim was excited about the idea of being related to me, uh, even by law. But, um, but all that to say... I don't know if the Spanbergs have learned this, but, but as a father of a large family, I've learned that there are some things you, just, you shouldn't compromise on. There, there are some things for sure we should compromise on, but what I learned recently this summer was that one of the things that a large family shouldn't compromise on is the hotel you stay in on vacation. And my family, we, we visited the wonderful country of Texas. I don't know if you've visited there before, um, but we stayed in Waco. And, and we stayed in a Super 8 hotel, and all, all six of us, and it was a beautiful idea uh, to try to save money. And at one point in the middle of the night, Megan and I, it was one room, two twin beds, so Megan and I are in one bed, our three girls are in another, and our son Edmund is crammed into a pack and play, wedged between one bed and the air conditioner. And at one point, the girls are all fighting, Eddie is screaming, and Megan and I are just laughing at our foolish attempt to just try to save a couple bucks by cramming ourselves in this hotel that smelled like pee and tires, which is true. Because the next morning at breakfast, my daughter Jane, who has a, a way with words, which is a nice way of saying it, she said, they shouldn't call this place Super 8, they should call it Terrible 8. And so that was, that was her, sorry if you work for Super 8 motels, but, uh, but that was her conclusion. But, but, but I share this because this is true in life. There are many things we should compromise on, but there are other things we shouldn't. And, and as we come to Revelation... And as we come to the letter to the church at Thyatira, uh, I believe that one of the things we should add to the list of that which we shouldn't compromise on, we should add Jesus to that list. And really, when we come to this letter, now if you were with us last week, we, we began with uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus, and now we turn to the fourth letter, so we're a little bit out of order, uh, but to the church at Thyatira, we see precisely this idea that Jesus should not be compromised on. And if there's one thing you take away from our time this morning, I hope it's this, that compromising with Jesus gets you nothing. Compromising with Jesus gets you nothing. Again, there are things to compromise on for sure in life, but Jesus should not be one of them. And the, and the reason why is because to follow Jesus as king, which is really the theme of Revelation, that Jesus is king, to follow Jesus as king is a whole life endeavor. He is not a facet, a hobby, a, a part of our lives. It's not like I like bakery and kung fu and Jesus. Like, he's not one aspect of our lives. He is to be at the center of our lives. And that's precisely what the letter to the church at Thyatira is addressing. And so we, as Christ's community, should hear this word. This is not just a, a letter to a particular church, although it is that, but it is a letter that we should hear as a church. So what I want to do, I want to give a little bit of context to kind of what's going on in the church at Thyatira and even just the culture of the city, just so we kind of know what Jesus is addressing in this letter. And so, so the first thing is that Thyatira, it's an ancient city in modern-day Turkey. And in fact, the city is still around. It's just known by a new name. It's called uh, Akisar is the name of the city in Turkey. And it literally means white castle, 
which is interesting because I, I, I hope that connotation in Turkey is different than the one we have in the United States. We just associate it with burgers that taste like regret. I don't know if you are White Castle fans. I actually kind of like White Castle because I'm a masochist apparently. But the point is that this picture, the White Castle is this image of, of beauty, of power, and that's very much the picture of Thyatira in Asia Minor during this time. Thyatira was a well-to-do city that had a strong economic base. Uh, it was known for its uh, very lucrative trade guilds, which we'll address in a little bit. Uh, but its strong economy was based on these two main industries of, of metalsmithing and fabric development. And, but also, in, like all of the other Greco-Roman cities, Thyatira was deeply steeped in pagan worship and ritual. And, and the pagan worship was kind of seamlessly integrated into every uh, part of the culture, including the marketplace and the economy. And so as a result, Christians in Thyatira at this time, they, they found themselves compromising on their convictions and beliefs about Jesus in order to kind of be um, accepted into the city and into the culture and in order to be successful. They had to adopt some of the pagan practices to maintain their status as legitimate business owners in the community. And, and this led to them kind of splitting their allegiance between Jesus and the pagan cultures that they found themselves surrounded by. And, and really, this is the central issue of the letter that Jesus writes to this church. In fact, if you look at verse 20 of chapter 2, we see kind of the word of warning or the word of, of confrontation that Jesus gives. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So basically what this is referring to is that the Christian community in Thyatira had begun to kind of compromise their commitment to Jesus by, by capitulating to the culture, by giving in, by emulating the various uh, practices and traditions and patterns of, of the culture in Thyatira. They tried to follow Jesus as they engaged in the pagan practices of the culture. They were trying to live this dual citizenship of following Jesus, but also doing everything else that the culture did. And, and this just doesn't fly. This is why Jesus is confronting them. You can't have a split allegiance. It would be, I was trying to think of a metaphor for this. It would be like walking into Arrowhead Stadium as a Chiefs fan, wearing a Chiefs jersey, but also wearing a Patriots hat. Like that, that just doesn't fly. Or having a Patriots tattoo like Tom Brady, like just tattooed on your forearm up here, or on your bicep. Like that wouldn't fly because those things don't mesh together. In the same way, the Christians in Thyatira were trying to wear the jersey of Jesus, so to speak, while wearing the pagan hat of the culture. And Jesus is saying this cannot be the case. And so if we are to be a church for the end of the world, as we've been looking at in this series, and for the good of the world, what we have to understand is that we must be an uncompromising church. That's really the message to the church in Thyatira and to the church of Christ's community, that we must be a church that is uncompromising in our convictions and in our allegiance to Jesus. And what I want to do as we kind of walk through the text is I want, I want to just point out three qualities of an uncompromising church. As we look at the example of Thyatira and what we can learn from them in their, in their mistakes, how can we emulate the picture of an uncompromising church? And the first thing is this. An uncompromising church sees through the lies. An uncompromising church sees through the lies. 
And what I mean by that is that, that the church must be able to discern and be aware of the fact when we're being led astray, when we're buying into narratives or stories or values that are antithetical to, opposed to, stand against Jesus and his kingdom. You see, in some ways, the church at Thyatira had the exact opposite problem of the church at Ephesus. If, if you were with us last week, Ephesus was known for being this very thoughtful, very intelligent, theologically astute congregation. You know, they were able to discern false teachers among them, but what they lacked was real compassion and love and service. But that's the very thing that Thyatira is commended for. In verse 19, we read these words, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So Thyatira has what Ephesus doesn't. They have love and compassion and service, but they lack what Ephesus had, namely discernment and the ability to know when they were being led astray. And so in this, Thyatira, the church in Thyatira was, was easily swayed into believing false teaching. They were influenced by this prophetess Jezebel, whoever she is, in kind of being led into this kind of syncretistic blending of Christianity, but also of the pagan cultures in the city. And so the Christians were kind of fusing these two together, and like I said, they were wearing the, the jersey of Jesus, but the hat of the pagan culture, and this should not be the case. As a result, they allowed the lies of the culture to infiltrate their faith, their worship, their work, every aspect of their lives. They found themselves essentially following Jesus on Sunday, but as they entered into the places of work and influence and service, they practiced and emulated the pagan cultures in their work on Monday. And this is very much the reason why Jesus is writing this letter to this church. They have compromised on Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to them, if you compromise on me, you get nothing. And so church, for, for us to think about, okay, what does it mean for us to be an uncompromising church? Well, I think we do have to be a church that sees through the lies, but here's the question for us. Do we know when we're being lied to? Are we aware of when we have bought into various narratives and cultural values that stand opposed to Jesus? Or have we, like the Thyatiran Christians, blended uh, this version of Christianity with kind of this American dream that may stand opposed to Jesus' kingdom? Are we aware of the fact that we might be being lied to? And often, the lies we tend to buy into are lies that we tell ourselves. In fact, uh, recently, just to kind of illustrate this, um, I know Shawnee has uh, old Shawnee days, and in Olathe we have old settlers, and uh, back in September we had old settlers here, uh, and there's a carnival and parade and all that stuff, and I was taking my girls to the carnival, and, and there's a lot of carnival games. And as I'm walking through, I'm explaining to my daughters, like, girls, these games are kind of rigged, they're designed to kind of get your money, it's really hard to win. As I'm explaining that to them, there's a game that catches my eye, and I'm like, oh, I could do that. And, and it was, I don't know if you saw this, but it's, it's the, the, the bar hanging game. So if you can hang from this bar for two minutes, you get $100. And I was just like, I, I can do that. I've never been more confident than anything in my entire life. I can do this. And so we actually, but I was like, I wanted to make sure. Because I've done it before and some of like exercise uh, training stuff. But we went home and I, I hung on my pull-up bar and I did it for two and a half minutes. It's like, kids, get back in the van. We're going. And so we went back to Old Settlers I kid you not. And we're like, guys, I'm going I'm to get 100 bucks. I'm going to take you out to dinner. It's going to be lovely. And so we get there. And I'm ready. I mean, like, I have literally never been more confident in my entire life. And I jump up on this bar. 
and I discovered that the bar rotates. It has like ball bearings on the end, and so, which is very different from a static bar that you just hold on to. And so I hung on there for barely a minute and fell, and you just he- heard this just utterly shameful, like, oh, from my children. And so we had to, th- then the long walk back to the van, the long, dr- like, five-minute drive home was just filled with great regret and shame. And so in that moment, I had convinced myself that I was capable of hanging from this bar, But I wasn't aware of all of the elements of what was going on in that game. In a similar way, as a faithful community of followers of Jesus, are we aware of the various Jezebels that are telling us and feeding us a different narrative that we are blending and adding to our convictions about who Jesus is? Are we aware of the fact that we have Jezebels in our neighborhoods and in our places of work and our schools? Are we aware that there are Jezebels who are telling us a narrative through our Netflix queue and our social media uh, feeds? Are we aware that, that even in our financial portfolios or the podcasts we listen to, there are stories and narratives fed to us by various Jezebels saying, this is the path to the good life, but we find that it is often opposed to the values of Jesus and his kingdom. Perhaps the Jezebel that you are listening to is saying something like, do whatever it takes to get the grade, to pass the class. Do whatever it takes to to close the deal. Do whatever it takes to increase profit margins. Do whatever it takes to uh, get him or her to notice you. Do whatever it takes to be comfortable, to be happy. At face value, these aren't necessarily inherently wrong, but we can find ourselves listening to them enough to where we find ourselves compromising on our convictions. And so we should ask ourselves that question, are we aware of when we're being lied to? Are we alert? Are we awake? Are we attentive? Are we, to to use a Bible phrase, are we sober-minded enough to be aware of when we are being lied to? In his great book, The Attentive Life, Leighton Ford describes the importance of what it means to follow Jesus and to pay attention. And Ford says this, he says, ultimately, we become what we pay attention to. The options available to us at any time are myriad. What we pay attention to doubles back and it governs us. Hence, our attention is deeply associated with either death or life. So much of the biblical narrative is the story of God working hard to get our attention. And I love that language because that's that's exactly what Thyatira and I think what we need to hear. Are we attentive to the various cultural stories that are compelling us to move down one path? And are we aware that they may be leading us down a path that is contrary to Jesus and his kingdom? So the uncompromising church sees through the lies. But as we continue on, the second quality of an uncompromising church is that she endures the costs. She endures the costs. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Thyatira is is this well-to-do city and it's most notably known for its very lucrative and influential trade guilds. And, and a trade guild was kind of like a, a labor union to some degree. And, and what the trade guilds were, they were basically a collection of, of workers, merchants, craftsmen who enforced various quality standards uh, in their respective industries. Uh, they also provided financial resources to those in their industry. Uh, there, there was um, adequate representation or mediation in times of conflict. And there was also protection from exploitation in your industry. And so if you wanted to be successful in Thyatira in business, you had to be a part of a trade guild. It was, it was just part of the business. It was part of the culture. 
But because, again, because the city was so steeped in pagan ritual and worship, the pagan practices were kind of integrated into the practices of business and the broader economy in general. And so what this meant is that if you were a Christian in Thyatira, and if you wanted to be successful and provide for yourself and your family, well, not only did it mean that you had to be a part of a trade guild, but it also meant that to be a part of that trade guild, you were expected to engage in and practice some of the religious pagan rituals of the day. And, and if you refrained from that, if you stepped away from the trade guild and refrained from those practices, you were basically committing financial and professional suicide. It was very hard to have a lucrative career and to provide for yourself meaningfully as a Christian in Thyatira if you were not a part of these communities. And so, so this is kind of what's happening. And so the, the Christians in Thyatira, and you can understand the pressures they're under. In order to, to, to flourish in life and to provide for ourselves, we've got to compromise on a few things to make it work in this industry. Which is why, though, Jesus says in verse 20, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, again, you can imagine the pressure that some of these Christians were under in these circumstances to be a part of a trade guild and to engage in these religious pagan practices that compromise their convictions with Jesus. And again, these are the very kinds of questions and pressures that faithful followers of Jesus still ask today. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture, a work environment, a school, a neighborhood, a community, a social circle that tends to have a different line of values that doesn't match up to the values of Jesus and his kingdom? And so the uncompromising church must be willing to endure costs, but she does so by asking this question. What is Christ-like integrity worth to us? What is Christ-like integrity worth to us? Now, we, we might look at the situation of the Christians in Thyatira and say, well, this, this is not a one-for-one -one analogy. I mean, like, this is such a, a pagan culture. It doesn't really relate to what we're going through in our modern age. I mean, we don't worship idols. We, we don't find ourselves going to temples dedicated to their honor, do we? We don't find ourselves in, in a particular workspace specifically or in an industry or marketplace in general that requires the certain engagement of unethical behaviors to succeed or to suspend certain convictions to be successful, do we? We don't find ourselves in communities or schools where, where we have to kind of engage and, and hold up to one set of values in order to be liked and accepted that would compromise our convictions. I mean, I, I'm saying this all tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Because I think we do find a lot in common with Thyatira. That there are certain values that our world puts forth to say you must engage in these ways if you want to be accepted. We feel it acutely in our schools. And I would say probably of all the demographics, I think our teenagers in middle school and high school feel that uniquely. The challenges of following Jesus in an environment where you're said, no, to be cool and accepted and popular, you must look like this, act like this, do this, and say this. But many of us feel it in the places of work, in our communities, our neighborhoods, and our social circles. And Thyatira was feeling this uniquely in the context of the marketplace, which had such a huge impact on their own well-being. In fact, uh, Miroslav Volf, he's a Croatian theologian, and just by saying his name, you sound intelligent. So Miroslav Volf, that's fun, just try that one out at lunch. But Miroslav Volf, in his book, Work in the Spirit, he talks about this very phenomenon of what it means to hold to kingdom ethics in, in, the, place of, in the marketplace 
when we find ourselves pressured to engage in, in ethics that are, are opposed to God's kingdom. And he says this. He says, economic rules are reinforced by the tangible consequences of gain or loss, which can often mean the life or death of the economic players or, or just an employer. A person certainly can hold to ethical norms, but often only so long as the dynamic of the system does not crush him. Faced with the choice between obedience to conscience and survival, he is likely to opt for survival. That's exactly what's going on in the church at Thyatira. The pressure to live within the values of God's kingdom, but also feeling the pressure to have to live within the values of the city and the culture rooted in pagan worship. And so church, we should ask this question, are we able and willing to endure the cost of following Jesus as we enter into the places that we find ourselves serving, influencing on Monday, as we face the pressures and challenges to compromise in certain situations? Are we willing to endure the cost and do we believe that Christ-like integrity is worth it? So, so think about this, like what do you do, and this is just a specific example, but what do you do when, when a client, a very important client of yours, wants to schedule an appointment with you at, a, at a, an establishment of ill repute, like a strip club of some kind. Like, what do you do in that moment? You, you want to keep this client, but he's asking you to meet you in a place that compromises your convic- convictions. What do you do? What do you do if, if, a, if a neighbor comes to you and is spreading gossip about a fellow neighbor down the road? Like, what do you do in that moment? Do you allow it to go, or do you, do you speak out against it because this, this is defacing someone made in the image of God? If you're a student, what do you do if, if other classmates of yours come to you and say they have a plan to, to cheat on this upcoming test and they want you to help out? What do you do in that moment? What do you do if your boss has asked you to intentionally craft a contract with ambiguous language that benefits the company over the client? What do you do in these moments when your convictions are put to the test? In many ways, our devotion and our allegiance to Jesus is tested the most in these spaces. When our convictions are compromised, when we're, we're tempted to compromise on our convictions. We had the, uh, the Common Good Conference that we hosted actually at the Olathe campus last weekend. And, and if you were there, you may have heard Brian Loritz, he was one of the presenters. He talked about um, a, a fellow, a, a Christian who owns a, a large chain of hotels, uh, international, international hotels. He didn't mention the chain, but, but this, this man is a follower of Jesus. And at one point, they made a decision as a hotel to stop offering pornography in their, in their hotels all around the world. And that decision resulted in them losing $10,000 at every hotel a month. Which that, that's, a, that's a huge hit. That's a huge hit. And that is the cost. That, that's an example of what it means to endure the cost of doing business and living in a world where we are devoted to Jesus above all else. And so the uncompromising church sees through the lies and knows when she's being lied to. The uncompromising church endures the costs and is willing to see that Christ-like integrity is worth it, no matter what it costs us. But as we continue on in Revelation, what we see, what enables and empowers and equips the church to be this kind of uncompromising church is that she holds fast to Jesus. She holds fast to Jesus. The reality is that every one of us in this room and everybody we know is holding fast to something or someone. Whether we recognize it or not, we are going to come to the end of our days holding fast to something, hoping that it is enough to endure the pains and the challenges of life and death itself. 
The question is, is what we're holding fast to strong enough to hold us? And, and that's what Jesus is trying to say to the church at Thyatira. You see, the, the great theologian Bob Dylan once said that you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's precisely what I think Jesus is trying to awaken the church at Thyatira to. Jesus is quite clear. Judgment will come to those who do not hold fast to Jesus. And that's, that's an alarming and sobering thing to hear. Because when we hold fast to the values of a king or a kingdom that are opposed to Jesus, then we will find that Jesus will be opposed to us. Because we are keeping ourselves from the giver of life, the source of life. And, and there's some strong, frightening language, like I said, in this letter. Look, just look at verse 23. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, that's, that's alarming. I mean, th th this doesn't sound like the cuddly Jesus that I've, I've seen or heard of before. Like, this is extreme. Now, those phrases, those exact phrases, search the mind and give according to your works, those are exact lines pulled straight from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And, and in the book that bears his name, Jeremiah chapter 17, God is speaking to Israel, and he's calling them out for their idolatry. Their idolatry that was actually rooted in the pursuit of economic gain through greed and unethical practices. In the same way, Thyatira is warned that if you compromise on Jesus in order to kind of maintain or to be successful in whatever realm you're in, you will find that to com compromise with Jesus gets you nothing. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows where our true allegiances lie because he is the one with eyes of fire who sees to our core. But with that being said, I want to be very clear. This is not a message of condemnation to those who make mistakes. That's not what Jesus is getting at. What he's speaking to are those that have come to believe that we can kind of have our Jesus, but also still live in a world and in a culture that is opposed to him and his kingdom. Jesus is speaking a word of judgment to those who would say, I can split my allegiance. I can, yes, follow Jesus on Sunday, but then whatever I do on Monday can look totally different. This word of judgment is for those who would say, I want the kingdom without the king. Maybe you've heard us say that throughout the series. It's a message of judgment for those who say, I want Jesus, provided that I can still have the right to edit whatever he says that doesn't jive with my lifestyle. That's who Jesus is speaking to. He's calling us to properly order our allegiances and our loves to him above all things. It's why C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Mere Christianity, he said this, no half measures will do. Jesus says to us, give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. That's essentially what Jesus is saying to us in this letter to Thyatira. It is not a message of condemnation to those who have made mistakes. It is a message to those who think they can pledge their allegiance to Jesus and then turn their hearts and affections to another king or values that stand opposed to him. But look with me at verse 24 and notice the beautiful refrain that Jesus builds this all towards. In verse 24 it says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. 
That's the beautiful news, even in this terrifying letter. You see, Jesus in this letter is not the paranoid, cynical parent who says to their kid, when you leave this house, you better behave and do as I've told you or else. That's not the spirit of Jesus, but rather what Jesus is saying to the church at Thyatira is that he's expressing himself as the loving, heartbroken parent who sees his children straying from him and says, I know where your heart is going. I know that you've given your attention and affection to something that is going to rob you of joy ultimately. And so turn back to me, hold fast to me, and find the life that you long to live. You see, for those who have sought to discern the lies and endure the costs and hold fast to Jesus, they receive the sweet promise that Christ has come not to add to your burdens, but to remove them. Amen? Like that, That's the good news of this letter. Jesus has come for those who have pledged their allegiance to him above all else, who do not compromise on him. He has said, I have come not to place more burdens upon you, but to remove them. The only burden you receive is the burden of my yoke, which is easy and light. Enter into it and find rest. This is the good news of this terrifying letter, that while compromising with Jesus gets us nothing, those who give their lives to him, who pledge their allegiance to him above all else, find the blessing of their burdens removed, of their sins forgiven, of their victories won, and their place with Christ their King forever. This is the message we need to hear. And so friends, yes, while there are many things in life that we should compromise on, don't let Jesus be one of them. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, We ask, Lord, that you would awaken us to the lies that we don't see. Lord, awaken us to the lies that we tell ourselves that that keep us from living in light of, of who you are, aligned with your kingdom. Lord, may we be a people as a gathered community and as a scattered church throughout our city. May we be a people who are so aligned with your will that we are able to discern the lies that come at us. Lord, would you give us the conviction and the boldness to stand firm in who you are and the values of your kingdom as we enter into our schools, to our communities, our neighborhoods, and our places of work. Lord, would we enter in with a clear understanding of where our allegiance lies, and may we be willing to endure the cost, even if it means suffering, pain, hardship, persecution, rejection, because living in light of who Christ is is worth it. Lord, may we hold fast to you and may you awaken to us the reality that the life we do long to live is found in you, the one who holds fast to us. May we be this uncompromising church for the good of the world and the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name.